Welcome to the Edible Alpha podcast series, your source for actionable insights into making money in food. I'm Tara Johnson, the Tara's Way Lady, and we're here to talk to a wide range of stakeholders about what it really takes to grow a financially viable food business. So hi, Rachel. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, how are you? Thanks for uh, having me. I'm good. So uh, you're holed up in your home, I'm assuming, or in an office somewhere. Uh, I, I home and office from home. So yes, I'm holed up in both of those things. And Got it. I'm in Austin, Texas. That's awesome. So I have a son who lives in Austin, so I know it well. I just love Austin. And what a great place to be a food entrepreneur. Yeah, we're really blessed here. It's a beautiful city and there are lots of ways to be inspired by nature, but then also be connected to, you know, amazing um, other entrepreneurs and sources of funding and business and yeah, and, and, a, and a really vibrant food scene. Yeah. I mean, I tell people I, I've never been to a place and I'm sure they exist elsewhere, but I haven't, I just haven't seen them. But I know they don't exist here. I, I, we're in Madison, and, and Madison is a pretty progressive food scene. But I, um, right near my son's home, there's a restaurant that does only Whole30 diet. And I'm like, wow, this is so cool. Yeah, the whole I, yeah, the the food scene. I mean, I don't think uh, I don't think that Madison and Austin are even comparable at all. Because when you talk about Madison. It's where you have incredible water and, and primary production is really strong. So you're getting a good, you know, more diverse food shed um, from, from there when you live there that we don't really have in Austin, but we do have, you know, a lot of great minds on, on consumer packaged goods. Yeah, no, that's really true. I, we are blessed here. I mean, I, I do travel around the country and go, wow, yeah, we are lucky with, because right outside of Madison, we have diverse, incredibly diverse agriculture, right? So, yeah. so yeah, so tell me about your company and how it started and how you got into this. I grew up in Vermont where uh, the natural foods movement went from um, almost growing nothing year round to lettuce and cold frames and um, and and since then year round production of food has gone really far where for you know in Vermont we never had artichokes even in the summer and now you're seeing like diversity in food sheds is something that people are getting really creative about but at the same time nutrition is only a maybe 20 year old science so it's always changing what we're aiming for and um, I've seen the entire traje trajectory of American natural foods, mm -hmm. and um, and it's been really it's been really interesting. So I did go to college for ethnobotany, but I can say that before that, you know, my life's work and play was was already in in the very much in the plant and food world, mm -hmm. and um, and so as an ethnobotanist, when I moved to Texas, I met this plant called yopon and was told that, uh, you know, really casually, I think it has caffeine in it, it's the cousin of yerba mate. And when you recognize, you, you know, I have heard people say, well, what is it, another, uh, what is yopon, another, um, is yopon another, uh, another caffeinated plant? There are only under, there are only fewer than 10, maybe eight 
uh, viably caffeinated plants in the world, and that's cacao, coffee, tea, yerba mate, guarana, guayusa, and kola nut, and yopon. And yopon is is the one that only grows in the United States, and hmm. is uh, the cousin of yerba mate. So when I was introduced to that, uh, I immediately recognized its value, its value, and and couldn't understand why I had never heard of it. And upon further investigation, it turns out that uh, you know after murdering the indigenous people who used this, nearly the entire entirety of those populations of indigenous people who used yopon as a staple, mm -hmm. as their tea for thousands of years, um, British colonizers were sending it back to Great Britain in the 1800s, and the royal botanist for Kew, seeing it as a viable threat to import and export of Chinese tea, because people were liking it, and it's, you know, basically a synonym um, they saw it as a threat to their commerce, and he had the opportunity to give it a Latin name. He gave it the Latin name Ilex Vomitoria. Meaning oh, no. It makes you puke. How's that for branding? Yeah. And it was eradicated from the food shed entirely, and you never heard from it again. Wow. And it only Ilex Vomitoria. Holy cow. Ilex Vomitoria. Wow. And before that, you know, without a Latin name, this was a staple. Right, right. Wow. So then Yopons existed. It only it, it, it only exists in a in a handful of southern US states. Uh, a little bit in Virginia, Florida, North and South Carolina, uh, Louisiana, Texas, and Oklahoma. And um, it can, it's high it's it contains caffeine and the the content of caffeine really depends on you know, just like in nature, plants make phytochemicals based on their conditions. Mm -hmm. And so Florida Yopon has a different amount of caffeine than, say, Texas Yopon. But even within stands in Texas, maybe a sun-facing Yopon contains a different amount of caffeine uh, to one grown in the shade. And all of this stuff has totally been neglected in research because, right, it's just another right, plant that makes Right, because it was called Alex Vomitoria, yeah. Yeah, yeah academia that... didn't want anything to do with it. Food world uh -huh. didn't want anything to do with it. And then cattle ranchers were like, we hate this plant. It's rhizomatous. It can propagate from uh, seeds, pro uh, definitely. And then also it can it propagate under the roots. Oh, so it can go yeah. really far. And if you take it down to the roots, it grows back. Right. So it's hard to eradicate for your ranch land. Do cattle eat it? Uh, I don't think it's great for undulates, but um, and particularly probably cattle, cows, and horses. Mm -hmm. um, but it it just it spreads. I don't know about it as a as you know whatever a threat or a feed to the cows. Right. But right. I know that it, it you know takes up the land really quickly. It spreads. Yeah. It's pro it grows prolifically. Right. 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 So you learned about this thing, and and you said, "Wow, this could be a beverage." I'm assuming. Well, I started right? taking it home. I mean, I'm a forager and I was teaching ah. foraging. So, yeah, I was teaching like the James Beard award winning chefs in town about the local terroir and like, you know, taking little native plants, other ones that hadn't been a part of the food shed, but say, you know, a relative and a type of nettle um, mm -hmm. that happens to taste like cucumbers and just kind of like, you know, mm -hmm. just being a muse for the food world in Austin, uh, bringing the wild terroir, which is something that I also relish um, into, mm -hmm. you know, people's, people's restaurant experiences 
And, um, and so I started to bring home Yopan and I ferment and, um, I make kombucha and mead and stuff like that. And I like to take plants. I make herbal medicine. Mm -hmm. So I started to cure the Yopan. Like what happens when I take Yopan grown in the sun and dry it in the shade? What happens when I roast it when it's green? Um, what happens when I, you know, so just really, I bought a book on how tea is processed, all the different kinds of tea. Mm -hmm. And started just seeing how versatile, like figuring out what the variables could be, which is infinite. All tea, by the way, is one plant, Camilla sinensis. So all tea. Wow. Uh, you know, it's just like oolong. It's the same thing as green tea. It's the same thing as black tea. It's the same. So um, I started kind of just, you know, exploring that way with Yopan and realizing like, wow, it tastes so good. Um, the botanical, like, notes that you can get out of it are I mean, it's, it's like, it really opens up. It's, it's a magical plant. And, um, it's, so that's it's why they, the, the British, the Kew Gardens guy was threatened, right? Cause it had this properties. It right? has, it be it's, it's absolutely. And it's, I mean, it's really prolific. You could harvest a ton of it. Someone could have really set up shop. Right. Um, right. yeah, but because, because, you know, China's culturally intact, the tea, so is the tea industry, and 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 you, and it's easier to bring that here, and people understand it because mm -hmm. it has a history. I think yerba mate, you know, which is Yopan's cousin, guayusa, which is also Yopan's cousin, in the America, Yopan, guayusa, and yerba mate, they're um, actually holly plants. Um, the the tea of North America and South America is holly, is a holly plant. Yeah. Uh -huh. Um. And and they, you know, but. As David Hoffman, who's a medical herbalism author, says, uh, he says, plants are, are biological holes, not vessels for phytochemicals. When you take each plant that contains caffeine, you're going to have a different experience when mm -hmm. you take it. So, you know, tea is different than coffee. Cacao is different than both of them. And yerba mate and yopan are different. Yerba mate has its own phytochemical that's unique. And yopan... Um, it's what the Native Americans and the North American Indians called the drink of social wellness. Huh. And that's what you experience when you drink Yopan. It's just like a really happy, pleasant, gentle uplift. Hmm. Isn't that fascinating? So, so you were, you were, you know, noodling around in your kitchen with, with Yopan and then you decided somewhere along the line that you had to make a consumer product, right? And sell it to people. <clears throat> well, here's how that started. It wasn't as direct as that. I wanted to, um, I actually um, had the unfortunate experience as a teenager to live in foster care for a little while. Uh -huh. and, um, and so it's always just been something that I wanted to give back, be a foster parent. And when I went in to become a foster parent in Texas, they were you know, they were kind of like, what are you, a forager? You know, we don't have social services here. This is a free kid. Right. Um, we're a red state, you know. Right. So it's all these private organizations instead of, you know, what people might recognize in their own state, which is usually governmental. Mm -hmm. um, it's like church organizations in Texas, and they're like, we give you $100 and a kid, and then you're right. financially responsible. So I said, oh, I'm working on this beverage concept. I'll start a beverage company, be right back, uh, I'll have an income. <laughs> oh, God. What <laughs> a right. I don't, you know, I've heard a lot of um, stories about why somebody started their company, but never this one. <laughs> so, 
So you so, you said, okay, I'm going to go start a beverage company, and you went and did that. Yeah, three years later, here I am. Isn't that um, amazing? Yeah, and and I actually launched a, an earlier brand called Texana Tea, uh-huh. and um, and I launched it in Texas, and looked over my wonderfully talented but an illustrator, not a branding artist friend's shoulder to make the brand. And I had an idea of what I wanted and, um, and we did it and it was successful enough to get a little cult following uh-huh. in Texas wide. I launched in central market yeah. uh, statewide and stayed on the shelves and I handmade the product and bottled everything. I loaded all the trucks by hand, no pallet, like two cases at a time. God. You know, there was yeah. lots of crying on a piece of cardboard on the floor in the middle of the night, that kind of life. Um, when you get home and, and dinner is throwing chips at your head while lying down in bed and right. you catch some in your mouth. Um, and then I just, it, you know, and it, what they say about branding is that Texas uh, branding, it works really well in Texas, but that it doesn't work outside of Texas. And for better or, or worse, like I could have challenged that, but who knows? I chose to rebrand to something a little bit more mainstream. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, and so I moved into the concept, yeah, 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 which is Yopon three times and, um, is really the way that Yopon makes you feel. Mm-hmm. Cool. And yeah. And so, you know, launching, yeah, yeah, yeah. In May of 20, uh, what is it? 2019. Mm-hmm. I launched Texanity in May of 2018 for the same event at Central Market. So you can kind of see the pattern right. we're going with. Yeah. That's awesome, and and um, and you made it all the way to getting invited to pitch at Expo West, and that you know that's so I'm on the selection committee for for that, and there are a lot of people apply to that, right? So, um, so to do that as quickly as you did it is actually really impressive. You may not realize that, but it oh, is. I really appreciate that. I mean, it it seems quick it seems quick uh-huh. right it takes like three years to be an overnight sensation and I'm still nowhere near an overnight sensation right um, I think what the the driving hunger for me and also the you know grist for the mill uh, which is the rough bits that make the wheels turn right is yep. the fact that no one knows what Yopon is so it's not only that I'm bringing an emerging brand to market that you know people don't know about but also there's this educational aspect and for me the most interesting example of um, getting the a new plant in uh, you know a, a, a functional plant ingredient out to the to the market with a complicated name and a complicated story is like the stories of adaptogens where on it you know an iconic yeah. Austin company mm-hmm. took the word ashwagandha, they took this plant that you can't feel with even when you take it. Right. And adaptogen, which is such an awesome action, um, but it's something that takes a lot of explanation. And they put that in like muscle milk powder, right. you know, tubs, and people take it all the time. And there are all these people that otherwise couldn't name an action, any action right. in herbalist terms of a plant, but they know adaptogenic. And, um, you know, thanks to Joe Rogan, of course. Um, and, and so they moved that mountain a lot faster than, than we can. And people are always telling me that I'm going to need a hundred million dollars to get people to understand what Yopon is, but 
Um, but you can see that these things do move about culture when people realize like the functionality of them, they can move a little bit more quickly. Yeah, and I, I'm not at all sure you need a hundred million dollars. So I, I, the reason I, and the reason I say that is that I think, ironically, um, um, because of COVID, so much more food is being purchased online right now, and and by mm -hmm. people who are spending a lot of time online, right? And and they're they're. It's not everybody. Like the big key to this is you are got to you get to be a really great target marketer, um, because for people who care about like native plants and the stories behind Yopon, right, and the the whole story of why it was called what it was, the all of that, and how native cultures used it, and all of that. Like you, ha there, there's such richness there for creating a brand, right? And I, that is not to be underestimated. You're totally right. And, and also it's true. And I see that the excitement in the, you know, in, in every conversation I have, um, about, about my company comes with that part of the story. And then everything that we're told and everything that we, maybe everything, you know, the pedagogy of, getting a product out there, we're told that people are stupid and that no one wants to learn and to dumb your brand down to a second grader. And so, you know, there's this odds to the reality of the way that you move a brand like this throughout, throughout the world, which is by getting people excited about the plant and the story um, and, and how people tell you, you need to get this out there, which is like, no, 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 no one cares what Yopan is, show the numbers. You know. Yeah. Well, so let let's. I think that's we sh we get to unpack that because it's it depends who you're talking to. So, an example like herb, yerba mate. Nobody knew what that was. People know what that is now. Acai came out of nowhere and became not a you know it's a more of an ingredient than it is a a particular brand. But there are we got examples where things that people didn't know about plants these things that people didn't know about have come into the market and become something big, right? The other thing I would say is that the people who are telling you that you know you're going to need a hundred million dollars to get anybody to do this or or um, or how people are so stupid they're what they're coming and and this is an investor mentality thing too that you know we want to invest in things that are going to sell to coca-cola like it, it's a beverage you've got a beverage um we're going to sell to coca-cola and we want to make you know oodles of multiples of sales you know we want a really high return on this and right. if that's the it's, case, it's about creating yeah yeah and if that's the goal then, then yeah, you don't want to take on on Yopon, right? Because you want something simple that the mass market is going to like and that Coca-Cola would easily buy. But that doesn't mean that what you're doing doesn't have promise in a different way, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. and and it's such a great. Your this is such a great example of of just that whole dynamic and then that becomes in a, a dynamic for you and you're in a place like Austin, Texas where you have this investor community that keeps wanting to make food behave like a tech investment and it's not going to behave like a tech investment. 
And that's a frustration, I know, for, for other food entrepreneurs I've worked with who are in Austin. Oh, thank you for saying that. Totally. I, I totally believe that. And I... And it's, it's an, so, and I can speak from my experience at Tara's Way because we, you know, I'm in a place, the upper Midwest, where we, we have biotech investing here. We don't, and we have some tech, but we also have people who understand food and manufacturing businesses. And I was fortunate to have investors who came from that world. So they, they weren't like, we got to grow this thing to sell the Coca-Cola like that. That just wasn't even the mindset. And as it turned out, they did really well on their investment and we didn't need to have that mindset. And when you're looking for mentorship, it's really difficult to find um, someone to help you uh, grow your business to a high level that doesn't that doesn't have the dreams of a giant massive acquisition or a merger right. or you know mm -hmm. it's so difficult and it it's difficult because you are you as the entrepreneur are happen to be in a place where there's a lot of tech investing and my experience with this is that it's actually harder for food companies i think to attract capital ironically in places where there is a big tech investing thing because i i do work in in Seattle and Northern California, and there's a lot of tech, you know, a lot of investment going on, but they look at food companies and they literally have expectations that are unrealistic and they don't think that they're going to do, you know what I mean? They try to make them into a tech company and food doesn't become a tech company. It just, no matter how you push that square peg in the round hole, it doesn't fit. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Yeah, so so you're um, so you you're in Central Market, right? I'm in Central Market statewide in Texas, and I just launched the second week of March 2020 in Whole Foods Southwest region. Nice. While nice. I had coronavirus, I launched in a pandemic with seven SKUs across two categories oh. with a premium product. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah, I was really uh, my interesting. My head hurts just thinking. And you had you had COVID. I had it. You did, yeah. and you were launching in in March. So we had to talk about that because I know a lot of brands who for whom like the buyer the stores just shut down. Like we're not doing anything new. So tell me how that all went. Well, there's no promos. There's no demos. Oh, there's right. Right. And, and, and grocery stores are ground zero. Knows. And I'm doing a product that requires discovery. And and gro also grocery stores are where you go to get coronavirus. Right. So what really quickly happened in Austin was, you know, people were just ordering provisions like this food insecurity mentality happened sure. and panic buying. And the grocery stores emptied and then they put us on the shelves. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> And, you know, I have to say Whole Foods did a, an amazing job of supporting us. Like, we, they made us the most beautiful island and end caps, wow. and they moved us around. And it, did, it didn't really make a difference because nobody's stopping and picking something up. Nobody's right. touching anything if they don't know that they want it. Right. And they're moving through the stores really quickly. Right. So, but plus, it was right after the stores emptied. Right. You know, so it was just a really interesting time. And I think looking forward, we're all wondering, you know, like, 
is our grocery stores going to move toward more of a panic buying, less discovery brands, you know, kind of, um, you know, quick touch kind of model, or if those of us that launch during this time are going to get a chance to uh, see this through maybe normalcy, if that is going to yeah. be a thing ever? Well, so what I, I can say to that, uh, just given the people that I interact with, is the, that your observation about people not wanting to pick up anything is absolutely right. They're not foraging for anything in a store, like new cool brands or whatever. It's like, nope, just what I know. I want to get in and out really fast. So that will make it hard for new brands that don't, you know, that, that consumers don't recognize. It is. And also, I don't think that the future of grocery stores seems very certain. I mean, some people are predicting that 50% of malls and grocery stores are, you know, going right. to just quickly close. And at the same time, you know, right now is a really good time. Texas just opened up for better or worse. It's optional. Mm -hmm. um, most of us are still staying home and, you know, and getting out maybe a little bit more, but trying to be conscious of the fact that you know, we want to shut this down and move on. Um, but in the C stores, uh, the velocities are, are starting to pick up and we're starting to have like quick sell through. And then the new model for um, grocery stores seems to be the repurposed, you know, like for example, local butcher Salt and Time, um, who has set up like a wonderful little quick market that is you know, really good on social distancing protocols and you have to have a mask and you have to have gloves. And so it's comfortable for the people in our neighborhood who are older and, you know, conscious about, you know, the, the, the spaces that they're moving through want to be mm -hmm. safe and healthy while they're food shopping. And so the butcher is now a little grocery store where you get produce and yeah, our, our products, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's moving quickly through there too. Isn't so, that interesting? And, yeah. and, you know, and yeah, it, caffeine is addictive. Like once people find you, they're going to, and if it makes you feel really good, um, um, people will stay with you, right? I, you're that kind of product. Yeah. And caffeine is what I was going to say earlier about David Hoffman. Uh, so David Hoffman is the guy who in medical herbalism, he says, Plants are not vessels for phytochemicals, they're biological holes. And that means that all the plants that I aforementioned, plants, tea, coffee, cacao, yerba mate, guarana, guayusa, kola nut, and yopan, maybe not kola nut, but the rest of them, all also have theobromine, they're caffeine and theobromine. And then they also have their own other spectrum of phytochemicals, quercetin, other mm -hmm. antioxidants. And so the thing about all of them is even though they have theobromine, which is most famous in cacao for the way that it improves your mood, mm -hmm. um, and, and all the other plants have that also, Yopon has the feeling you're not buying it for the caffeine. It's almost like people who are sensitive to caffeine seem to really gravitate toward it. Mm -hmm. um, so mm -hmm. it's more for like, you know, what, what we call it an elevated vibe. Mm -hmm. more than us you know we're not we're not actually like competing with better for you energy right. we're sort of energizing people who are careful with how hard they energize right right interesting yeah and who are looking to feel better this world is not slowing down even though you know no. maybe it actually did this is a pandemic but we're all still moving around and have responsibilities whether they're now more kid focused or 
Um, and we are always looking for something that'll make us feel better. And out of all of the caffeinated plants, Yopan is the most mood boosting one. It's the one that makes you feel better. Yeah. And it's gentle. Yeah. yeah interesting. So I'd love your observations about what's happening with your brand in, in retail and C stores and what happened to your butcher, because I, I do believe that retail, I agree that retail is going to change as a result of this. I mean, I don't think people are going to, once they've bought, just it, they're buying way more food online than they ever have before. And that psychological barrier has been relieved. And I can't imagine they're all going to go back to not buying online, right? So whereas even going up into COVID, I, I of all the companies I've worked with, I, I work with a handful that have have meaningful online presence. One it, that it comes to mind right now is 100% online with food. Um, but it was the exception, right? And now it's going to become like you got to be online, right? Because it's where people are going to discover brands. Yes, I accept your um, suggestion and I'm working on it. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, and it's hard, right? And that's why everybody can't just suddenly go online and you got to, you got your products in glass bottles and you got to figure that out. And, and, you know, there's a whole bunch of things that have to come into play in order to be successful at it. Um, we have our stuff in, yeah, we have our stuff in glass bottles. And then also we have biodegradable sachets and we're coming into summer, right? Uh, so, right. you know, but which doesn't mean that, you know, that, that you can't use tea bags. We just have to show the world how, um, how, you know, brewing your own sun tea at home in a pandemic is actually a really sweet self-care practice. Totally. Um, so... You know, I, I, one really creative thing that I um, have stumbled upon, um, it, you know, because we are all hemmed in and trying to figure out ways to interact with other people and do something fun around, and, you know, food is kind of a thing, right? So there's a, um, there's a chocolate company in um, Seattle that is doing a chocolate making at home master class online uh, which is like inviting people who and she has some technology that is um specific for taking raw cacao beans and making them into chocolate and i'm not even sure what this machine is but it's something that is small enough that you could have it in your pantry in your kitchen it's a so, tempering machine okay so you know what it is so it's a tempering machine that, that if you sign up for the class, you get the machine, but then you get the class and they're, you know, it's like a Zoom session. So you're, you're doing this as a social thing with other people. I, I feel like, and that, I mean, that's, that's creating a new way to think about marketing for brands, especially for things that need discovery like yours, right? Like the yeah. sun tea idea with that, could there might be something. It's just, it's just interesting to be, to, for you, if, it's interesting to, to talk to you about how do you take a product to market during COVID and it's something that people don't rec easily recognize, right? Yeah. 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 So, um, so on, the, on the money side, so you use a co-packer, right? Well, we like started using a co-packer in 20... Uh, we did one run in 2019. Uh-huh. And... So that was our first manufacturing run, and yeah. um, I think I joined uh, entrepreneurs before me, 
who um, have had co-packer struggles in, uh, in the early side yep. of things. And, totally. um, you know, I think a lot of different challenges can arise for that. You know, people say that scaling is hard and it's true recipes, getting your flavors right. We didn't actually have that problem. Our problem was that our co-packer was a crook and uh, still four and a half million dollars from pe from beverage companies in the industry and no one reported this wow. um, or called them out and then f mm -hmm. and people because people in beverage there's so much money moving around that it was you know in one case just hundred and twenty five thousand dollars right. that they stole in another case you know and, and I came along at the end I think I was the last person on the list um, <laughs> right so, and you know it's like don't you feel like they saw me coming right like oh yeah here's one I mean, I, I, co-pack working with co-packers is a whole thing, right? I, I, you know, I, I tell the story with with Tara's way of we use we you know we built a factory, right? So we're drying our own way. But in the beginning, we didn't buy the packaging equipment because there it's you know two hundred fifty thousand dollars per piece of equipment, and we wanted to have cans and pouches and. So, and, and then you need blending equipment. So we're like, okay, well, we'll use a co-packer and we'll use one that, because we're in Wisconsin, we've got lots of people who do this, right? So we did one with, with somebody who did lots of big brands and they put the wrong scoop in the container and that doesn't oh. sound like a big deal, but with whey protein powder, the whole, the whole reason people buy it is once, you know, they want a specific amount of protein per serving, which is you get with the scoop right so it's actually a really big deal to have the wrong scoop and you just want to go okay so you're in this business you ought to know this right it's just yeah and then i have people who have really good relationships with co-packers right it's just it feels in a way like a crapshoot it, it 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 like i think beverage co-packers are um specifically challenging and I know there that a, a lot of them is part of the problem there's not a lot of competition exactly and it's kind of like a mechanic mm -hmm. you know they're always testing to see if that you know what is going on and mm -hmm. so you really have to have your eyes on things and of course coming from self-producing going into a this facility was beautiful you know and ha looked professionalized and had I known what I know now, I would have recognized the equipment uh, up front. I would have done a walkthrough of the equipment and been able to identify that they're cool. They didn't have cooling procedures and they didn't. But what you mm -hmm. expect is that they know and you just hand them the recipe and then that they're going to scale the operations. And that wasn't anywhere near what happened here. So they were leaving our product out on the floor and they didn't properly pasteurize some of it. So we didn't get it. I mean, there were so many. Right. And so what a devastating way to like, this was our launch of yeah, 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 from Texana Tea, the first launch. Right. And then we did our second run with a co-packer um, at the end of January 2020. And there were some challenges to get there. Um, and, and then at the end of the day, that manufacturing run was a pleasure. The quality assurance was really in, uh, mm -hmm. in order and the water quality that they use is spring water. And so 
you know, we came out of there really loving the product that we got. Nice. And then, you know, that we made for our uh, March 2020 Whole Foods nice. launch. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a thing. This and and developing good working relationships with them when things go bad because like things will go bad, right? I mean, hopefully it doesn't happen often, but it, it's it's just a whole it's a whole thing. Um, so anyway, now you're, you're using a co-packer and you've, you're in central market and you've launched into, into, um, Whole Foods. Are you, are you going through UNFI? We, for Whole Foods, we're going through UNFI and we have used various distributors with central market and are now onboarding with KEHI for them, Good. which is really interesting. All of the distributors, like rotate in and out of favor with every uh, retailer <laughs> yeah you know so they'll so we had I had you know chosen to take some time uh, to grow a little bit and to really like get our footing before I onboarded with the bigger retailers because I see them chew up and spit out these little brands and mm -hmm. that's what they're made to do um, so I wanted to wait until I had the stock to kind of like, you know, give this an, an opportunity to show velocities and show data. Yeah. And I'm not really sure when we're going to get any viable data because, you know, the I think if we were flying off the shelves right now, it wouldn't matter. And if we are sitting on the shelves, it wouldn't matter. This is just a, a wonky time. Right. It's not, it's hopefully not representative of, of the long-term solution put it that way but but any right. place where you are doing well then that says something right it says something about yeah when it, and it's all about getting your brand voice right and yeah. you know with 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 texana it was yopon forward so mm -hmm. it said yopon tea yeah and it's always kind of a question like whether we're tea because you don't say yerba mate tea yerba mate right. is yerba mate you don't say uh you know, Guayusa tea, right, like Guayusa. Right. Um, and so like when we switched to yeah, 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 there had been a conversation with the brand strategist about buy, remember that company buy, yep. they're huge, um, with Cascara and then the Cascara on the front label didn't work for buy. Now all you know is it's buy, it's antioxidant, who cares what the ingredients are and it's a strong brand. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it was sort of like, well, since we're small and we don't have the in our first launch in 2018, we're small. We don't have the the hundred million dollars, whatever the number everyone throws around is, to get what the message of what Yopon is to educate the public about Yopon. That we would try to make a brand, yeah, yeah, yeah. But at the end of the day, our supply chain is paying American wages, and our you know, so we're not another cheap tea. We're not mm -hmm. a concentrate right. that is you know. And so why does it cost more if it's just another tea? And so for this relaunch for 2019, we are more Yopon heavy in our messaging mm -hmm. and that feels important. And I'm just, you know, out here, we're just out here spreading the wonderful word of Yopon. Yeah. Um, so and oh, how do you harvest? Like, where's it grown? Is it like commercially grown anywhere? Well, initially I was harvesting myself and, yeah, and producing you were foraging, and, then, right? and also brewing and bottling mm -hmm. by hand, right, which is right. ridiculous. Then I hired a leprechaun. Then I a hired leprechaun. another, you know, I, I, then I like sort of professionalized to a, like somebody that, you know, could forge a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And then, um, I partnered with 
to grow, I partnered with a wonderful woman um, owned company in Texas that uh, hires former female prisoners and um, sex workers mm -hmm. to provide meaningful employment um, after, you know, prevent recidivism, mm -hmm. reoffending in prison and to give people like something to put on a resume and, and a proud way mm -hmm. to move forward, even offering long-term employment if that's what the case may be. So they're cultivating it. Well, so Yopon is both a wild plant and then it's cultivated already for landscaping plants. Oh. So people are, you know, know what Yopon, isn't that funny? Like, let's remove yeah. it all and then, but we want one right here. Um, right. And then it spreads. So, but it's also native. Mm -hmm. And so people uh, know how to grow Yopon domestically, but that doesn't mean that there's a protocol or even really cultivars made for, right, you know, for food, commercial, food you, yeah, for food like traits, like what yeah. are we looking for more higher caffeine? What conditions does that need to be grown or bigger leaf or, you know, mm -hmm. faster growing or whatever? There's nothing, there's no, there's nothing out there for that. So we are more taking actually for our, our, our uh, supply chain focuses on actually taking the wild plant and domesticating it. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, as an industry, we have organized. So we ha now have the American Yopon Association, which uh -huh. is, um, you know, Yopon companies all over this, the, the, you know, whatever, the United States, I guess you could say, but it's not that big of an association yet. But we met, had our first meeting last year mm -hmm. in Austin and people came in and we met for that. And then also um, we've gotten Yopon certified uh, generally recognized as safe. And that's actually an interesting story because grass certification means you're taking an ingredient not previously used and you're getting the FDA uh, not previously recognized as food safe uh -huh. and, and getting the FDA to recognize it as generally recognized as safe. And certain things don't need that because they have such a long historical um, value. And then uh, you know, as a food, it's people a food. know they're safe, mm -hmm. even if it's in other countries. Right. Nettles, for example, do not have grass certification, but mm -hmm. the FDA will say you don't need it. Right. Um, yeah. So, so with no Yopon, you needed it. Well, we needed it because people kept asking for it. So uh, hmm. when they came back, this is really interesting. So they came back to us and they said, um, Yopon is. Uh, uh, we so you have two paths to grass certification. One is historical, and then one would be you know that you spend about five hundred thousand dollars. We were told to right, get to the data, the scientific mm -hmm. data to do yeah. testing, and we tried to go the historical route. But since the historical record on Yopon is starts at where white men landed in the right, United States right, and called it, um, yeah, Ilex vomitoria, they mm -hmm. came back to us um, and said that it wasn't um that that they needed uh that that the history on yopon was for ceremonial use uh -huh. and we said that's totally racist because um indigenous people and ceremonial use this was a staple and so they immediately came back and said you're right wow. and our grass certification recognizes indigenous use of um, Yopon wow. as the reason for, for historical use. Yeah. Good for you. So yeah. it was, it was a daily beverage or something. It wasn't, it was tea. It was tea. Right. 
Right. Yeah. And in, yeah. In, and who knows what the spread of, is it, of, of this is. You know, there are pottery shards in, I think, Cleveland that due to the presence of theobromine, they were assumed to have um, indicated the presence of, like, cacao root, uh-huh. tr- trade root from South America. Mm-hmm. And then as Yopon is emerging more as a also a source of theobromine, they're like, well, maybe that's what it was. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. It's so it's it's got to be fascinating to be doing what you're doing. I mean, a lot of I mean, food, having a food company is a cool thing and people do a lot of cool things, but they don't. The fact that you work with this interesting ingredient brings this whole new dimension to what you do. And what a cool thing how you are cultivating it now. The social impact for that is fantastic. Yeah, I mean, it's it, the the University of Georgia is ready, has, you know, they need the funding, hint, mm-hmm. hint, anybody listening, um, to <laughs> do the, the sequence, the genome of Yopon. Like, uh-huh. now they're starting to pick up some interest for this plant. Uh-huh. And at the same time, I think in natural foods, you know, if you if you fill a room of people, uh, this happened recently. If you fill a room of people with um, and and ask everybody who even knows what guayaki is, right, or what uh, what even what yerba mate is, most people still don't know. But they right. would recognize that brand if they saw it in the store. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't know the name is guayaki. Maybe they don't know the word is is um, yopon. And so I think there is value in creating a brand that people recognize. I mean, they've taken a long time to do that. We are just getting out there and you can tell that, um, in my story, you know, I'm an ethnobotanist. I love the history and science and food product development of, of, you know, interactions, history of interactions between humans and, um, and plants. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that involves a lot of different yeah. Things, well, and it's different than being really driven for. I didn't come here saying, "Wow, Austin's a really rich food community, and I want to start a product. Let me name ten products and pick one." This like came out of my heart, and mm-hmm. um, due to my relationship with this plant. Yeah. Well, I tell people so brands. I mean, big, big soulless food companies create brands through you know looking at a bunch of data, and then they you know they they do what they do and the brand comes out the under, other end. And it's a soulless brand, right? It has everything clever about it, but it isn't, it doesn't have a story. It doesn't have an emotional element to it. And consumers really want stories and emotion and things in their brands these days. It's And it's getting really hard for big food companies to create brands that are compelling that way. And so your brand is going to have all of that passion and energy that you bring to this because you are an ethnobotanist. Like, like it, it, you know, and that's fine. I tell people, you, you bring yourself to the company and the brand you create. And that's not, right. a, good, that's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Yeah, and, actually, it's interesting because, like, what the industry is saying right now is that... Uh, you know, everybody wants a founder's story, but as a founder, you know, some people are more willing to caricaturize themselves. Um, and some of us are a little bit more, uh, you know, like I kind of see myself as like queen of the unseen. Like I like the gray areas and the magic and, um, and I do like to botanize of course. 
Mm-hmm. But, uh, but I've, it, it, you know, I, interestingly, I've had acquisition offers from strategics in the industry that wanted to come for this brand and wanted me to be the person out there. Um, of course, they telling did. this, you know, acting like the ethnobotanist while they did the soulless big yeah. branding to yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, no, right. um, because well, so that, I don't, there's a, yeah. Yeah, there's a thing in there for you, right? And for people listening to this that that you know, don't you are a, you are an entrepreneur that's bringing your soul into your into your brand and into your company. And and you know, that is not something that you um I mean, maybe someday you're going to say and and with me and Tara's way it happened pretty fast. It made sense, right? Um, that that it will move on and do something else, but that the power of that brand that is you, and the, and the fact that you bring this story, right? I mean, a lot of every other beverage, like they would die to have a story like this, right? That you. I think I, it's interesting because even thank you, I really appreciate that. Um, I'm not sure that's true, but I know that this wants to happen. You know, I I. I I, I hear mostly that people don't want anything to do with beverage and that it's like so brutal and, um, you know, and, and somehow, you know, by, there have been blessings that despite how brutal and despite how underfunded um, that my company is, that somehow with patience and grit, and this is mostly elbow grease, like, you know, we haven't talked about my funding yet, but um, I've done, I've just done the work of this without brokers, without salespeople, without, um, any investors except, you know, a, a little bit of, of investment from, from family. Um, I've been able to move this forward to a point and it's been interesting because I'm seeing, you know, people around me are getting funded, um, in their concept phase and, uh, you know, we know that in 2019, female founders received 2.9% of investment dollars compared to male founders. And so that's something that um, can get you down. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> but yeah, uh, no. And I, I, you know, so Tara's way, I had to raise $14 million to start my business um, because wow. I had to build a plant. That's like a whole long story. And I managed to do that. Um, and at the time, I knew it was hard. Um, I didn't, I didn't actually know how hard it was, <laughs> in a way, because I was in it. You know, um, I think it is, and, it, and so I see that. As I know from my experience what it was like to raise money, and I work with other entrepreneur, women entrepreneurs, and I, I gotta say that I, I recognize that it is different for women, and it's. Um, I, I think it's one of the, the, you know, we've been crashing glass ceiling after glass ceiling, at least in my, you know, in my career, right? So I became a CEO of a, of a privately held company here in Wisconsin at a time when, you know, we were in the top 100 privately held companies in the state. I was the only woman CEO on the list, right? Then I, then I raised all the money and did Tara's way. And, and I think that, um, we're, we're still at a place as women where we have these glass ceiling things and, and I think raising money is one of them. And I think part of the reason is 
women who make money don't invest. Like, like we're much more likely at women who've made money will, will give their money to the wealth management people to manage their money for them more likely. And men are more likely to say, I'm going to become an angel investor. Right. So then I think that is such an interesting point because, you know, we talk about men holding the money for investment and it usually being a, a, a female founder to male investor dynamic. But I, I like that women are not off the hook. They don't invest in women either. It's true. Right. And, and there are women who have a lot of money, right, who are accredited investors, they're doctors or whatever. They could be investing. Their male counterparts are, but they aren't. There, so it's like another level of, of, of cultural stuff around money and gender that we haven't really explored a lot. Because, and I think if we did that, we would see different numbers for women. Because like when I was pitching for money, I only pitched to, only one was a woman who was there to invest on her own behalf. Everybody else was like a wife of somebody, right? And, and they, yeah, they were kind of involved in the decision, but it wasn't, it was really their husband, right? And so if we had more women who were going to step up and become angel investors, then you'd have more women on boards. You know, there's all this stuff that comes with that, that would make it easier for women to raise money and to be successful entrepreneurs. That's a really good point. I think you're, you're right on to something. There's a deep cut in the psyche of women around the ask for money mm -hmm. and also around the power to spend money and 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 financial liter literacy is intentionally difficult like no one understands the stock market right right um and we don't know why the world is closed but somehow the stock market is you know gaining power again um and and then and then you know there is a deep there is there's a there's there are deep relational issues between men and women around money and asking for money and talking about money and spending money that um, that you know we need to talk about it more and the more as so if you get female entrepreneurs into a room together we all say this is so hard right we all say this is so hard yeah and it's uh and and it's not uh, intentionally triggering for if we talk about it in front of you know our with our men band friends like actually mm -hmm. with with a lot of friends in the industry I have a lot I've been talking about this for a while now because it's my experience and it started out that that my male friends weren't able to hear uh, that it was difficult they would say this things are changing but they weren't you know and mm -hmm. um, and that it's getting better, and but women never say that because that's not the experience. And now it's so incredible. I have men saying to me all the time, I'm learning how difficult this is and I want to be an ally. And it was interesting to see in the New Hope News last year, you know, mm -hmm. Brad Barnhorn came out and said he's on 50 of the most important natural foods boards and that one of them has one, women, one woman on it. Um, you know, that's the start of a conversation that probably in, in, it's a in whole many other conversation, lives. right? It, yeah. It's been very interesting because that's the other thing. I, I sit on corporate boards and I'm usually the only woman on the board. Pretty much always. Yes. I am I'm thinking of the ones I'm on now. I'm the only woman. 
So how would you say, how would you suggest that like people change their boards to include, is there, is, is, is that, is there a way to do that? Like, so I, I think, you know, getting on boards is such a, um, individual thing, you know, cause it, there's issues of fit and all of that. And that, and that is a place that, you know, so, so people feel comfortable with certain, with people who are like them. And so fit is always like, oh boy, you know, uh, they can't even under, can't even describe why gender would be, a, you know, would make fit feel awkward. Right. It, it's like, why would that be true? Right. So, so I think, um, I think part of this too is goes back to the women women who have exited like the people who should who have the skills to be on boards um we kind of need an organizing and new hope media would be a great place to do something like this to and and there have been there are people who are working on this in the industry about mobilizing women who have exited in particular successful exits that that we we get a bit organized and make ourselves um, more prominent so that if, especially women entrepreneurs, but anybody, they're like, yeah, we need some diversity. Our brand, uh, you know, women buy our brand and we have a board full of men and, uh, you know, then, then you have a place to go where there are people who are all really qualified women to be on boards. Like, I think we, we yeah. unfortunately have to make it easier for people to find people, right? Women to be on boards. Um, yeah. and we got to encourage more women to do it too. Like to think that this is an important thing and, and probably have something about trying to get women to be more active as angel investors too. Because right. I think that that the layers of this is the where the solution lies. It isn't just yeah. in changing men, right? Like that's not that's not the only thing going on here. No, not at all. I mean, we're all complicit in this unless we provide solutions and talk about it more. Yeah. And it's really uncomfortable to talk about because it's more triggering to talk about this with men, and it is generally known that if you talk about these issues that it actually could harm your company from getting capitalized mm -hmm. and and at the same time it's really difficult to get capitalized so you I know the other thing i tell people and i tell this to because i I'll, I'll work with minority communities too i because i i do some work in urban with urban agriculture which in in a place like chicago will be heavily um um, minority community oriented. Um, I, I know it's harder to raise capital and, and they, part of the solution to that, like, like when I was raising capital, I have, was in version 156 of my performa and I had wow. everything nailed down and people could ask me any question about the numbers and I knew what the answer was, right? Like, I think wow. the bar, part of the unfortunate thing is that women and minorities have to be better prepared than your average white guy does. Like We have to be better prepared and we also have to, like, we have to climb a higher mountain that, you know, for example, I was told early on that if I got a Whole Foods commitment that investors would be banging down my door. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, and then when I got the whole food commitment, I was told that, 
I needed data from the Whole Foods. Right, um, before they're going to be banging on the door. And, right, and, it's and, just yeah. changes. And, and, and I also want to be clear that I haven't banged down investor doors right, yet. Right, Like, you know, I have had some offers and I've had some some interactions and it called, it wasn't the right fit. Um, and, so. you know, the other part of this is that you get... Um, this is not, this actually isn't, it, in my opinion, it's not a gender issue. It's, we don't have a lot of resources to help people get ready to raise money. It's particularly equity. Um, Amen. Right. And yeah. so what that, what means with that is, what that looks like then is if you, if you happen to get taken under the wing of a, uh, angel investor who is experienced in the category that they're the investment in the company is in, they'll kind of mentor through you through the whole thing, right? And that's kind of the way this happens, um, especially in the you know places like the Upper Midwest here. Um, there, it, it, and then people who don't get taken under the wing by by this person for whatever reason are kind of SOL. So part of the, part of it's part of why I do what I do at at at, um, at the Food Finance Institute. That's why I started it because I wanted to be able to create educational programming and ways to interact with with entrepreneurs to help them be ready to raise equity. Because if you show up ready to raise equity, it's a pretty big. I mean, I mean, really ready. Like it's you given. This is my term sheet. This is not waiting for some investor to give you the term sheet. Like that means you've gone a hell of a long way. And it, and that says a lot to investors. They go, whoa, they went through, they, they know what they're doing, right? Even if they want to negotiate the term sheet, they're like, wow, they actually went through and thought this whole thing out. And that right. makes a difference. And depending on, and depending on this, it makes a huge difference. And depending on the skill set of the founder, um, it also makes a huge difference if, you know, if you have an early investor, if you're funded, you know, starting early on, you can wave a magic wand and other people do those materials for you versus it takes a little bit longer if you're not funded and you're, you know, trying to figure out how to put them together. And that's the case in my company is that I'm able to open doors. My product wants to move. I'm able to like connect with customers and the product is great and the brand is good and, and, mm -hmm. and, you know, but getting shelf space and the investment materials, that's a whole other skill set. So it is, it is. Yeah. And, and, and I know because of the work that we do that I, that it is possible to get people over that hump. And then, and then, you know, you hopefully, you know, when you have the, the scale of ambition that you have and you're growing your company, then the kind of the next round, then you're getting people, you know, the right people on your team as investors and it, um, but I drove the process. So I see, I see people and partly that was because I had been the CEO of a company and I had already sat on corporate board. So I, I was way more prepared and I was not going to go, I was not waiting for investors to tell me what this is going to look like. I was like, nope, this is what this is looking like. And you're either on the bus or you're off the bus. And I think that attitude is hard for women to muster, I think. It's hard yeah. for men, too. A lot of men entrepreneurs don't do it either. But I, for some reason, I think it, it makes it's harder for women to do it. Um, so The bravado? Yeah. 
You mean the the, well, the bravado, I, but also just just like no, I you know giving yourself permission to drive the process, right? Like, yeah, right. I got to raise the money, and it's my bus, and they can be on my bus or off my bus, right? And and that's and that's not it's not just bravado. It's like no, I'm really prepared, right? It's not just flim flam. And, and, and I think each place has a different culture, right? The culture oh, in Austin, totally. like. Startup news in Austin seems to be, you know, that somebody raised eighty million dollars, right. and that to me is like, well, there's right. so much many of us like in earlier stages that that's not helpful even to aim for. No, um, you don't need talk that about, much you know. money. You will have sold your company by then. Like, right? It's it, it, and this is the thing for food entrepreneurs that's so frustrating because there are there are, really boulder colorado is the only place where it's sort of in the culture to understand how you invest and grow a natural food brand right in my you know in my experience so um and ironically nobody you know all the money that i got into Terra's way was from wisconsin for the most part i had one from minnesota like and that it, so it's um but i was a manufacturer right so i wasn't i wasn't a pure brand play and people around here understand that so i i mean and i was a manufacturer also early on and yeah. to self produce to continue to self produce would but have made a lot you. of sense for me mm -hmm. no i i actually i liked the i i liked self producing and I like the quality assurance of that. Yeah. But now, you know, when you partner with the right co-packer, you can be on site for that and you can say, yes, it's perfect yeah. or no, yeah. you know, do something a little bit differently. So, yeah. but I, I, I could have seen myself like happily self, happily manufacturing um, forever. And that's as a primary producer. I love every aspect of, of the manufacturing process. It's, it's right. gritty. It's, it's uncomfortable, but it's also really fascinating. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think, um, so you're not in Boulder, you're in a place where people, you know, huge amounts of money go into tech companies and you're a woman, there are all these layers of things and the answer, you know, the answer is, is we get to cultivate more knowledge among investors about what successful investing in young food brands is like how do you do that successfully um yeah. so there's that layer and then there's another layer of helping people like you get ready to ask right so so you're you've you're you're prepped in a way that makes it easier for investors to come along because they don't know right like if you haven't made money and if if you're you made money in a tech company and now you kind of like food but you don't know how to how to you don't know how to make money in food, right? And if they're honest with themselves, they'll be like, nope, I don't know how to make money in food. And that means that I actually don't know how to invest in food. And I better go get somebody who knows, right? Like we need to do something to, to get their knowledge. And, and um, that's been my impression of Austin, um, that, that I think there are people tr in Austin who are trying to, you know, build up some more knowledge because you, you, you are kind of a natural category food company hotbed in a way. Um, so yeah, bringing yeah, we can up be. the investment community along behind it would, would help a whole lot. 
I mean, you see these brands in Austin and the story is, you know, somebody pounding the pavement with $500 and the, with a baby, you know, right. and that's how they built their brand. But the truth of the story is the first husband gave them $10 million. You know right. what I mean? So right. there's, right. there's a lot Behind of people. the curtain, there was a lot of money. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I didn't realize how capital intensive that owning a beverage company would be, and oh, yeah. um, and I don't think that anybody's crazy enough, uh, you know, to do it like the way that I did it. Um, except me. I have this weird, um, you know. I like to. I like critical thinking. I like to solve problems, and mm -hmm. I have a work ethic of a northeastern, you know, like right, right. I don't know. The New England blue blood yeah. in you. Yeah, so the, and the I other don't thing that I I can bring up too that that I think is useful for other people to hear too is that your company in the stage that it's at, um, because you have inventory and receivables, you have assets, and one of the things that happens when people innovate when they on start food companies in tech heavy places. Um, they think that the only capital that they have access to is is equity investment, and it's not true because you have collateralizable assets, and and there are government programs. There's this government program called a seven A that is a government guarantee to a lender. And if you were, if I were working with you as a client, that's that's where I would take you right now. You're at a stage where you need working capital to grow into distribution, and that's what that program is set up to do. And you can get it from a bank. Mm. So, there, there, there are options. This is back to the you know understanding the financial side of growing a food company and understanding what the options might be. Um, yeah. That's an option for somebody who's in your stage. I will look into that. Yeah, we're exploring all those options that I have had. Um, I have seen there's like American Express working capital loans. Mm -hmm. I've been exploring how to stay sovereign on this. Um, at, but at, also at the end of the day, I desire partnership and I want to be able to hire um, yeah, yeah. And you, you know, want to have you have staff, and it's not it's not so when you raise the money. Like people say, well, where did you get fourteen million dollars for Tara's Way? And I and I tell people from like everywhere, right? Like <laughs> I had government, I had the seven A, I had the SBA has a bond that thing that's called a five hundred four. We had that. We had money from power companies. I had individual investors. I had a CDFI, wow. like you name it, I had that kind of money. And that, that is, money isn't just simple, it's complicated. It's its own thing in a company, honestly. And so part of this, my thing about building literacy is to help entrepreneurs understand what, what the range of options are and what's the best place to use what. Well, thank you for that work and sign me up, please. Awesome. Awesome. And you guys, hopefully Expo West is going to, um, to go off in, in September in Philly. Expo East at Expo West at Expo East. At Expo West at Expo East. I don't know how they're talking about it. Expo West East. <laughs> West East or something. I don't know. Um, but it's September and hopefully, hopefully it'll, it'll happen. Cause, um, you know, that pitching is a, Pitching at that event is a big deal, and you'll have, you know, lots of people will see your brand, and that's a, always a really good thing.
Oh, yeah. I'm really excited about that. In fact, I've never been to Expo East or Expo West. Oh, my goodness. Well, um, well hang on tight. I'm Who really knows excited. This, I was this time, though, because of what's going on, right? I don't know how many people will come, but they're, they were expecting 85,000 people at Expo West. I mean, it, that's the problem for, with COVID because you'll, you'll be just packed. It's like riding in a New York subway. Like, it, so that can't happen, right? So I don't know. I don't know how this will happen, but um, but the COVID is going to be a great great opportunity to showcase your brand and to get in front of people who could be investors. Yeah, I'm so grateful for the opportunity. We were when when I was supposed to fly to Expo West, I was actually like three hours away from getting on the airplane and started yeah, having fevers and, and chills, and that was my coronavirus, oh, and that no. was on um, March second. So it was the night before the you know, before we were supposed to be there. Yeah. And then like a couple hours later, just, I, I decided not to go because it's, I could tell that, you know, the whole event was canceled almost. Right, and, right. and then I, I started getting sick and then they canceled the event. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that something? Like an well, hour after I was supposed to get on the plane. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Well, it's been wonderful to have you on the show, and I look forward to seeing you in person at Expo West East. <laughs> Thanks. Me too. Thanks, yeah. Tara. Okay. Take care. Be safe. Thanks for listening. You can get more podcasts by subscribing on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And you can learn more about Edible Alpha by visiting our website at ediblealpha.org.